Welcome to Grace 360, a vibrant discussion on issues of diversity that we hope is engaging, biblical, and slightly entertaining. The goal of these podcasts is to create a healthy, honest, and helpful discussion for Christian educators, parents, and students from a biblical perspective on current cultural issues relating to diversity. Diversity, for our purposes, is related to the acrostic grace, gender, race, age, ability, culture, and economic status. While we don't have all the answers, we hope our discussion is thought-provoking and helpful. Welcome to Grace 360. Well, welcome everyone. Um, Joel, David, and I are recording in the evening, so I'm going to say good evening. I'm not sure what time you're listening, but good evening from what? Joel, you're in Georgia, right? Yep, it's 8.30 here. 8.30, it's 7.30, I guess, where David and I are. David, where are you? East Texas? West? Yep. Yeah, you're in East, not West. I keep getting a mix of that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I'm more in North Texas in the Dallas area. So um, we thought we would come today and just have a discussion about representation. Why representation is important? What does that mean? And how does that impact um, the hiring? And um, I guess what would you say? Our faculty and staff, our teachers, board members, everybody involved in the education of our mm-hmm. students. And so um, I do want to start off with a reminder that when we talk about these areas, when we talk about things such as representation. We are looking at grace, such as the name of our podcast, a gender that God created a male and female Mm -hmm. race, um, understanding that race is a sociological characteristic demographics that you put people into categories. The United States does according to certain categories. Um, You have age and ability, and then you have culture different than race. Um, Some people can be in the same culture, but different race. And some people can be of the same race, but different culture. And then also economic status. So um, I guess I'll just start off. I just have a question for you two. Um, When we talk about representation, one of the things I often talk about is um, in the lower school, having male representation. Mm -hmm. What do y'all know about that? How do you feel about that? I'm the female who's pushing it. What do you think is the male's? Oh, for sure. I think I think that's that's a great question. You know, I've already done like a little soft audit in our school to say, okay, where is this representation in the lower school on the way up? And so after I sat back and I looked and I said, so if I have someone in the pre-K, I have a pre-K son, when's the first time they're going to have a male in front that they can relate to, that they can see, right? Um, And for us, it's not until sixth grade. Mm. So you, you figure from the time they enter, if I have them on that lifer track, they will not interact with the male until sixth grade. Mm. That, that's kind of concerning, a little simply because I think everyone is looking for someone they can gravitate to or relate to. And it's not to say our female teachers aren't doing Um, a good job of making sure everyone is included or seen. But I I don't think anyone would argue against the fact that, you know, for male students, they're looking for other males that they can gravitate to other men. Yeah. And the other thing I kind of want to build off of that is, you know, the dynamic of, I would say even males in kind of the, for lack of a better term, the non-traditional roles or where you would expect them. And so I think, everyone would say, oh, yeah, there's a male PE teacher, you yes. know, and um, but and, and again, there's nothing wrong with male PE teachers. Uh, I actually was one uh, <laughs> in another life. And so uh, but I think representation as far as a male 
in the classroom setting at the elementary and then specifically at the lower elementary. Um, I'm trying to think through, I've been in four schools now, um, three of which have had elementary. Um, and I think the most I've seen was in one school, we had two males in elementary. And I think one was a sixth grade teacher and the other was probably fourth grade, but I don't, I don't recall ever seeing a male in a lower elementary. I guess by lower, I'm thinking, you know, pre-K or kindergarten through third grade. Yeah. in, In all fairness, Jenny, I think we also have to look at how many male educators are looking to take on elementary school. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I would imagine haven't done the data, but I would imagine there's a small pool of male educators that are saying, yeah, I'll, I'll go into elementary school. So because of the stigma attached to it. Right. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Will you ever see a male pre pre-K teacher? I mean, if I mean, I do, have hope for the future. <laughs> I don't know. It is it is one of those big pieces of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. And and like you said, Joel, it isn't just for the male students. It's also for our female students. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's seeing them in a different light and seeing them in a different way, but also seeing their influence. Um, and so it's hard. So so with male, we also have this lack of not only do we have a lack of males in general, we also are seeing a huge lack of black males and Hispanic males and even Asian males. I would say males mm-hmm. of color where we see a huge um, gap in that. And so I know that y'all have created a space for black male educators mm-hmm. to get together. Can y'all explain a little bit about why you do that? What the point is in it and behind it? And then also, um, I guess, who's invited into those meetings? Yeah, I'll go ahead, chip away. And, and David, as always, can bring it home for sure. I think, you know, for black males, we make up 2% of the education field, 2%. And of that 2%, the majority are going to, to public schools. And so we, we've identified people within our field uh, that just understand what we go through on a day-to-day basis. I will tell you, it's, it's a huge psycho- psychological wage for me to go into a room, people look like me, and they get me. They understand me. There's not much I need to say. And there are commonalities based on our life experiences. It's no different, Jenny, than you being part of a female Bible group or a male Bible group, right? You, you want to be around people that, and I'm, and I'm not saying exclusively, but you want to be around people from time to time that just share that, that common experience, thought, and look like you. There's where that bond is. And so I, I think that's one of the reasons why we've joined. And I have to say, for me personally, it's just a safe place for me to go, say whatever I got to say, and know that someone won't interpret it the wrong way. Yeah. And, and I, I'm going to kind of build off of the last thing you said there, Joel, because um you know, at least I'll just speak personally in my experience, there's not a setting that I am ever in where I'm not thinking about how I'm being perceived mm-hmm. as, a, as a black man. Uh, and, and so to be able to have a space where 
I would venture to guess everyone else in that space has had those same thoughts or has navigated those same feelings. Uh, I think it's important. And, and so we're able to support each other. We're able to encourage each other. And, you know, as Joel kind of pointed out with the, with the data at the beginning, um, that 2%, when you then factor in uh, people that are professing to, to be Christ followers, that number gets even smaller. And so when you're when you're navigating work in Christian Christian educational spaces, um, the tendency is to feel like, man, I'm the only one. And so to realize I'm not the only one and that there are uh, brothers out there that I can can reach out to and that I can connect with and we can kind of feed off of each other and encourage each other. Um, it, it's important because what we're doing is important. Um, and, you know, it was even encouraging this past uh, week or so ago, we were all at the uh, CISA symposium mm. and we met a couple other brothers and you could see the relief on their faces when they realized, <laughs> man, I'm not the only one, uh, you know, out there doing this. And so uh, I, I just think that that space and that group is important. And I think it helps, it helps tremendously with our retention efforts, right? It's, it's one of those pieces to, to help remain. So um, there, within Dallas ISD, there's this huge effort to attract more Hispanic and Black males. And um, so in an article, it says that evidence shows that Black students who have at least one Black educator in elementary school are more likely to graduate from high school, college, and be career ready. Mm. Having someone who looks like you to teach you has a great impact on a student's future success. We believe that the more teachers that we can get in front of our students that look like them, the more successful the students will be. And I fully have seen that. But the other thing that I've seen that isn't addressed in here is it's also for our majority students. It's for our white students to be able to see right. others. Um, and, and I think that that's one of the pieces that's harder for us to truly understand. When our students are, are growing up in Christian schools and our teachers, that becomes our network of friends right within the Christian mm -hmm. schools it's not diverse. We don't hear different perspectives and different experiences. And so to bring in people who are different than us, to have that those experiences shared, it adds to our educational um, components of our school, right? It adds to our learning about God and all that he is. And so I think it's it's a extremely important. Um, so I don't know about y'all, but at one school that I was at, um, we were able to raise those numbers. I think when we started, we were about 7% in our faculty and staff. We were when I left, we were about 17% um, racially diverse in faculty and staff. We still did not have a male educator in our lower school. Um, school I'm at now, we do have male educators in our lower school, uh, but we need to grow our, our faculty and staff of color. So one of the things that I've always done, and I want y'all's input on this too, is I've always said, okay, as we try and get there and as we strive for that um, to hire, attract and hire faculty and staff of color, one of the things that I want to make sure is that our students are seeing people coming into our community, such as in chapels or special events who don't mm -hmm. look like them. Have y'all found that to be effective? Have you found other ways of doing this work? No, um, I think, uh, you know, for the work that I've been able to do throughout the years, having that a difference in visual aid and perspective. Now, mind you, when we talk about difference in visual aid, perspective experiences, we're still talking about people that follow Jesus Christ. Yes. Right. And sometimes yes. that can get lost when we talk about 
different perspectives, different experiences. We're, we're, we're talking about that same common ground, that same belief in Christ. Um, that's an effort we've made at the school I'm at now is bringing different voices. In fact, um, tomorrow I'll lay witness to one of our families of color um, coming to their daughter's class to talk about um, her heritage from Colombia. They're in that. And so it can be done. It is being done. Um, and that's just low hanging fruit. So we've been able to see that throughout our chapels, any other events. We're trying to just put a variety of perspectives in front of our kids because they have to know that there are multiple sides to this coin. Yeah, I, I, you know, the, the low hanging fruit uh, is kind of what you all are speaking about as far as uh, I think chapels are an easy way to begin to expose mm -hmm. all of your your student body. Uh, to to just uh, people from different ethnicities and uh, different backgrounds under the banner uh, of Christ. And that's been something that we've been able to do as well, is just kind of tap into a lot of local pastors, whether they're senior pastors, youth pastors uh, in the area, and, and, and just being able to have different people connected loosely with the school community come in um, and our students be able to hear the gospel and hear the, the Bible being taught from... Um, from uh, different people that are not always like them. Yeah. One of the interesting pieces with that chapel piece is I remember one year, I, I thought we were doing really well in regards to just educating on the differences between male and female and um, all those areas that play into that. And I asked my students in a classroom, I said, we were discussing gender. And I said, so how are we doing with male and female? Because, you know, we'd done uniforms. We talked through that. We talked through so many different areas. And the students said, you're doing terribly. And I said, OK, wait, hold still. That was not the response I was <laughs> expecting. And they, I asked them, I said, why are we doing terribly? And they said, because you have yet to have a female speaker at chapel mm -hmm. and they had counted the speakers who were female and, and and they were right we didn't have a female speaker and so what i finally started doing was looking at our speakers um in the broad spectrum of through the year and seeing you know and i don't want it to be a checklist but then i do want right. it to be a checklist because our students are doing it and so i'm trying to make sure where where are we in this right right even in regards to ability you know i had a student who graduated who had cerebral palsy and she said that she had never seen representation of someone in a wheelchair in her elementary, middle school um, years, except for a homeless person. So she always mm. thought she was going to end up homeless. And so yeah. it's that understanding of we really do need some representation for our students to see the bigger picture in regards to um, how God made us all uniquely. Um, all right. One last question. Um, hold, for you all. hold on. I'm sorry, Jenny. I want to I want to go back because I think you, you said something that's key. And I think it's important for us to realize and, and, and for people that are listening there in school settings to realize the students notice more than we realize they do. Mm -hmm. You know, at all levels. You know, I remember early on, um, I would hear elementary teachers kind of downplay it. Oh, the, the kids just care if you'll play with them or not. No, they they notice those things. Um, yes, they do care about those things as well, but they do notice, oh, none of my teachers look like me, or my hair is different than everyone else's, or, or, or whatever it may be, or, or like like this young lady that you were just sharing about that you know, I'm the only one or I don't see any representation of people with different levels of ability. And so I think it's important for us to realize that and um, not bury our heads in the sand, but, you know, press into that. Yeah. 
Yeah, extremely important. Um, okay, so with that, then one of the things we did talk about at the symposium, at the CSUN symposium recently, was those influencers within our school, the board members, that the heads of schools, that executive level that is making the policies and procedures and seeing representation at that level. What are your thoughts on that? I'll go first on this one. Um, I feel like if you're, if, if it's not reflected at every level, then you, you can't possibly hope that the, the community that you're hoping to have come to your school is going to take you seriously. You know, they've got to be able to see that representation at the leadership team level. Obviously they really need to see it at the, at the faculty staff level, but the leadership team level. And then even though your board is not, as visible to the public or most schools boards are not as visible to the public. I th- I believe you still need it at that level too, because those are different perspectives. And, and since the mm-hmm. board's function is to provide oversight and governance, um, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives are going to be things that the board would sign off on uh, as far as direction of the school. And so you need to have, uh, people on the board that have perspective and can speak into those those uh, those type of uh, topics and conversations. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think David definitely hit the nail on the head with that. I mean, that representation has to bleed all throughout the organization, right? It starts from from the top, right? If people can't see it at the top. How how can you gain that trust if there aren't people in there that have those perspectives, right? And so if you don't have them in your group, how can you assure that you are thinking of every angle, every experience, every thought as you as you walk forward? And so that that representation should not be done in a superficial way. Right. It shouldn't be like, all right, let's just find the Hispanic. Let's find the Asian. Let's no, because there are people, I guarantee you, in your community that are capable, that are competent and may not feel welcomed. Maybe, maybe there's a blind spot. Maybe you haven't reached out, right? And so I think for anyone to diversify their board, I mean, for, for me, it's a, it's a no-brainer, especially as you go forward with these initiatives. You need everybody at the table if you're going to go forward with these things. Yeah, and I'm going to circle back around because uh, and get really practical with it. Uh, you know, uh, Every there's every school that has a school board would would probably have a board matrix that helps them understand the the makeup of their board. And so they know that they have uh, X amount of individuals with individual wealth, X amount of individuals with legal background or X amount of individuals with with business backgrounds and so on and so forth. Uh, It's also very easy to add um, other demographics to that board matrix, whether it's. how many men and women do you have on right. the board? How many uh, people in different age brackets do you have on the board? Um, and then also how many people of different uh, ethnic backgrounds do you have on the board? And so uh, as you, if you add that to your board matrix, if it's not already on there, um, that'll give you a quick look uh, past the eye test. But sometimes actually seeing it in, in that raw data form can be more convicting or it can be more compelling to to help you say, okay, who, who checks more of these boxes that, that we need? Uh, and so, like you said, Joel, not just um, 
add someone from a different ethnicity just so we add that check that off in the board matrix but find someone who also contributes in other areas that are highlighted on that board matrix that also happen to be of a different ethnicity Mm -hmm. or in a different age range or so on and so forth yeah. OK, so we've we've talked about the necessity of this. Um, there are actually stats that follow our views on the necessity of this. Yes. Um, but with that, maybe we can end with two different topics in regards to that. First, the attraction of a diverse um, faculty, staff, board, whatever that looks like, and then the retention of that diversity. And so on the attraction, I know we've had to think outside the box of how we are going to attract um, a diverse community. It goes through assessing our HR components of how people apply, what they learn about on the website, Mm -hmm. all those kind of pieces. But it also has to do with us thinking outside the box of where we're going, you know, developing relationships with churches, developing relationships with um, not only minority serving colleges and universities, but also HBCUs, finding places within those schools um, where educators are and Christian educators are. So it it looks at a whole lot of different pieces. Any of either of you want to have a little input in that? Yeah, well, I'll tell you to find um, diverse candidates. It's going to take legwork. I think for the most part, our schools will start and and will post on their website. They'll use some of their familiar channels and that's enough. And for the most part, they're starting to realize that that's not enough because you're not getting the results. You know, when it when it comes to our minority communities um, and this is just, you know, broad generalizations and blanket truths. Right. But when you're dealing with very diverse communities or marginalized communities, there's that feel component. I have to see you. I have to feel you out because that's where the trust is. So if you come into my community and you talk to me, okay, I want to feel welcomed. It's like um, Dr. Howard says, you know, you invite me to your table to eat, but have you prepared things for me to eat? right? Have you taken into the account? I may have a peanut allergy. I may be lactose intolerant, all of these things. And so as we go out into these communities and we want them in, yes, but are you checking your institution to make sure you're ready for them to come in? Because the fact of the matter is, and and this is the reality, the more diverse candidates you bring on, the more eyebrows may be raised in your community. Well, is this a political agenda? Um, this is going outside the norm. Why are we doing these things? And I have found not just in my personal experience, but also in some of the experience of other black, black teachers is that they feel they're constantly under the microscope. It's like their, their competency is challenged, right? Their direction is challenged. They have to come in and they have to, they have to navigate those cultural waters. Where do I fit in? And how can I still be myself, right? Bring my culture to the table. And, and that can be somewhat of a bumpy terrain throughout. Yeah. And I, I think also kind of even going a step further back, I think really looking at how we're advertising for positions and what's some of the language, you know, so are you, are you saying things like, you know, required to have Mm -hmm. independent or Christian school experience, because now you might be, um, 
cutting that number down even more? Because obviously you're going to cut the number down because they have to have a, 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 a faith in, in Christ. And so that's a non-negotiable for our schools. So you're already cutting the number down to a certain degree. So now whether it's they have to have independent school or Christian school experience prior, um, or if your school is a ministry of a church, if they have to attend that church, that could be mm-hmm. another limiting factor to, to um, attracting diverse talent uh, for, for positions that you may have in school. So I think kind of thinking through um, what those things are. Um, I, I really like how um, Warren Reed at NIMNET uh, in one of his workshops, how he talked about the, the, the three buckets that you should really be focusing on and was a uh, competency. Um, oh, I'm drawing a blank on him now. Oh, that's <laughs> killing me. Uh, but, but basically it was, can they do the job? Um, uh, one was what were they bring to the community um, and I can't remember. What was it compensation? Was. No. no, but basically it was saying the whole idea is sometimes we focus on things like, oh, it's not the right fit or, or, mm. and, and those kind of things, which is kind of coded language. Um, yeah. I'm tired of that. Way. They're not the yeah. right fit. <laughs> Give me what that means. What it means. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I do think it's going back even to even before that and realizing that a lot of diverse candidates don't even know about Christian schools or that they're even available. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's all those pieces. OK, so we're going to wrap up um, and I just wanted to wrap up on one last piece. And this is something that I'm I'm pretty passionate about. Uh, maybe it's a culture that we're in right now that's timing with um, everybody yelling at everybody. But um, one of the things that worries me is, is if we as we hire diverse staff to come in, whether it's males in lower school, mm-hmm. whether it's somebody with a disability, whether it's um, people of color, I often um, worry that they feel like they have the weight of the world on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. If they're the only one, they're representing their entire community group for everyone else, mm-hmm. that their responsibility isn't just to teach or what we've hired them for, but their responsibility is much greater than that. And that is to educate the entire community because they represent a group that isn't in our community. And so I just wanted to, to speak for y'all to speak into that before we wrap up. Right. Yeah. And I think, Jenny, you're spot on. And when you really think about it, if we would have just laid that out on the table, you bring in minority candidates, they're coming in the weight of the world on their shoulder. They're here to educate others on their culture. They're under the microscope for their competency. If you lay all that out on a piece of paper, it kind of sounds like a bad deal as opposed to public school. I go to public school. I'll see chances are high risk. I'll see people more like me. I'll see kids looking more like me, right? I'll have, um, I'll say an easier time, if you will, with teachers looking to diversify, differentiate, right? If you just look on paper, we have to be able to ask ourselves, what what should be appealing for minority candidates to come to our school? What, What is it? Right. And we just can't say it's community relationship and all that, because at the end of the day, community relationship family takes time to develop. There needs to be a trust. There needs to be a vulnerability. And so as as I sit back, it's. We I, I keep going and I'm sorry, and I may go off on a tangent, but my thought is systems are exquisitely designed to produce the results they get. 
And we have to be able to look at if they're not coming, what is it about your system, your organization that is telling them this isn't for you? Hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And before I weigh in, competency, contribution <laughs> to community, and comfort. Comfort. With the three, with oh, the three things. See, the comfort plays right into this. <laughs> but and and but what he said was comfort is not always a good thing. So because a lot of schools, a lot of times, the school is looking at how comfortable are we with that candidate. Okay, um, not the so comfort of the candidate, but how right, okay. right, right. Okay. Oh, so that's why competency. Okay. It's important to find, make sure the competency, and then think through. Okay, what's the contribution they're going to bring to the community? All right. So, uh, but to kind of jump back to the the topic at hand, um, you know, Joel's exactly right. But that's why I think the retention side of it is so important too. You and you all hear me talk about that a lot. Uh, every chance I get, it's one thing to say how do we how do we attract this talent? How do we get them in the building? But you really should be focused on what are you doing to keep the ones that are already there because mm-hmm. those individuals are going to be the ones that also share their experience and if it's a great place to work uh because again you know uh i mean we just i just had this happen um back in the spring we had a couple we had a a diverse candidate on campus for a tour uh it didn't end up working out uh for for other reasons but at one point i i just kind of gave him the look and he gave me the look like hey are we gonna have a chance to to have a real conversation. And I just, I just don't know yet, you know, we're going to have that conversation. Uh, but thankfully I, I was able to kind of share with them again, we're not a perfect place, but uh, this is a place where you're going to be able to um, be comfortable as far as who you are. And, and you know, you're going to be able to bring your full self um, here um, in, in, in what you do. And so I, I think, those candidates, to Joel's point, are going to be looking for that. Like, can I be myself or do I have to uh, carry around that burden? And I think that's why retention is key, because when they do come, your, your organization's on the clock. You know, the, especially mm-hmm. if you're talking about uh, African-American males specifically, um, the, the data shows it's two years. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. two years. Um, and, you know, so you're on the clock to make sure that, they feel a part of it. They're plugged in. Uh, they're connected. They're supported. And if you don't, they're going to move on. Yeah. Right. And I think it's also, I'm sorry, Jan. I think it's also important for people to know, you know, you look at a David, you look at myself and there are other people in it. That's according, you know, according to the data, that's not the norm. No. Right. And so, People need to look at David, myself, and others that have stayed longer than two years and really use us as a resource to, um, you know, why, why have you stayed as long? And I can tell you, speaking from my experience, I have stayed as long as I have is because people have said, hey, we are invested in this work. We care about this work. We're investing in you and we want to empathize with your challenges you know, being one of the only ones and that, and that support and that vulnerability has produced that trust that keeps us here. 
Yeah. So I'll just, I'll wrap up with a, a story from yesterday. Actually, um, it's Sunday, right? So, so we, we go to Saturday night church. I guess everybody should know that we, we like to be lazy on Sunday morning. So we're so grateful our church allows Saturday night church. Um, and we attend a predominantly black church. And uh, my daughter had a friend and they went to youth to, to Sunday school. And afterwards, the friend who's white, my daughter's white, came back and said, well, that was weird. And I said, what was weird about it? And she said, we were the only white people in that room. And, um, and there were, there were, there were only black students and only black, um, teachers and worship leaders and everything else. And so anybody who pushes back on this idea that, that we don't need to see representation, I highly recommend just stepping out of your bubble a little bit and taking Mm. your kids into another area and they will Mm. automatically notice it. Um, so to take that other student, who's a friend of my daughter's and for her to automatically come back and say, that was weird and to answer because we were the only ones um, was a good lesson because then I was able to say well how do you think your black classmate feels or mm. how do you think so and so feels so mm. we we had a great conversations with that so um, but we're going to make this two series right we talked about representation within faculty staff board executive leadership and next next time we're going to talk about representation within the classroom and classroom instruction is that correct Yes. Sounds good. Yes. Awesome. Well, any last words of wisdom for everybody? Anybody? Uh, well, I would just I would just leave with this. And this is branching off of what you said, you know, Jenny, about going into another community. There's a book out there called The Third Option. Um, I think the pastor is Miles McPherson. And in his book, he talks about challenging his congregation to to be the other for those that are still having who are still confused or still can't really articulate, okay, well, what do you mean representation? And he's challenged them on certain assignments to how about you go down to the black barbershop, no appointment on a Saturday, you're going to be there for hours, but go in there and just sit and wait to get your hair cut. And David, you know what I'm talking about. I can't do that anymore, man. When I when when the barber started going to the little app and you can schedule, I'm like, this is the best thing ever. (laughs) I get it from a cultural standpoint, but it is not practical anymore. I'm trying to come in and sit down and be done. Hey, uh, on the doors, they still say walk-ins, welcome. Uh, But if anything, just go to a black barber shop and sit there and see life break down. For the ladies, go to a black salon. Or church, go to a predominantly Black, Hispanic, Asian mm-hmm. church, not just for one day, make it like three weeks, yeah. right? Yeah. Don't do a one and done. And just go in there and just experience being the other. Or take your child, for those that have juniors and seniors, take them on an HBCU tour yeah. and yeah. see how they react. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I think yeah, that we all good. need to be pushed out of our comfort zones in order. Mm-hmm. It helps us learn educationally more, academically more, but it also helps us so much learn more about God and the broadness of the creation that he created. And it's a beautiful thing. So we hope you'll join us next time for a discussion on representation within curriculum and classroom instruction. Until then, if you need any of us, feel free to reach out. I'll have our website and um, our email address in the podcast notes. And um, feel free to reach out if there's something that you you want us to cover or something that you have questions on or even something that you want to push back on because i know that we all like a good conversation so thank you for joining us 
Thank you for listening to Grace 360. As always, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes and are not intended to be divisive or inflammatory in nature. We hope you listened and learned as much as we have in the process of producing the show and pray you'll join us for our next episode. You can find us on social media. We would love to have you as part of our discussion with your thoughts and questions. Once again, thank you for listening to Grace 360.